Well, if I was smart enough, I, I would probably have tried to squeeze out an extra sermon from, from this last passage here in First Chronicles chapter 29, because that today it really is what I would probably preach for next week, which is Thanksgiving. And so now I've got to come up with a different Thanksgiving message. But it is what it is. Um, next Sunday is our Thanksgiving Sunday. And here's David here at the end of chapter 29. And really, it's at the end of his life. It's, it's at the end of his reign as king. And in our passage today, it's his last prayer. It's his last prayer before the assembly of Israel. And really, it's really a prayer of thanksgiving. And in this prayer, there are some profound truths that he confesses, things that he realizes that kind of make me wonder if it's only at the end of life or if it's only at an old age or a wiser age, do we realize and appreciate some of the things that he sees. David's heart here is filled with joy. It's filled with rejoicing. And we learned that in verse 9. He is blown away by the generosity of the people who gave to the building of the temple. And it leads him into this prayer. And it's a prayer of thankfulness, basically. But it's a prayer of thankfulness, not first because of what David received. He prays a prayer of thankfulness because what he and what the people of Israel were able to give. It's easy to understand thankfulness when you've received something. There are many reasons to be thankful. But have you ever been thankful? Have you ever been grateful, not because you received, but because you were able to give? And you are able to give, not just give, but give generously. And for David, the ability then, the desire to give and give generously, for David, it's deeply connected with the spiritual state of the heart. For those of us who are all about getting practical and, and, and getting real and concrete with our faith, you can't get much more practical or concrete with your faith than your ability to be generous and your ability to give. And not just what you give, but, but how you give. Three things I want to see from this passage today, and that is this. Number one, we see generosity from the people. Number two, we see generosity from the heart. And number three, we see generosity from God. Okay? Generosity from the people, generosity from the heart, and generosity from God. And let's look at this. We see this, we see this not only in our passage, but uh, last week at the beginning of this chapter, that we see immense generosity from these people. There was an incredible giving in Israel for the collection to pay for the building of the temple in Jerusalem. And David led the way. And so if you have your Bibles open or your Bible apps open, you look at the beginning of this chapter and you see what David says. This is how much he gave. He gave a, a bunch of gold and silver and, and bronze from the national treasury, which is probably a lot, to the building of this temple, okay? But what's interesting is this, is that in verse 3, he says this, Moreover, in addition to all that I provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver, because of my devotion to the house of God. So not only does David give from the national treasury, but he gives, he, he gives from his own pocket. And, and what does he give? It says there in verse 4 of this chapter, 3,000 talents of gold, 7,000 talents of silver. You translate that, look, one talent is probably worth about 10 years' wages in that time. One talent. 
David gave 3,000. I'm not good at math, so you do the math. You figure that out. Ten years' wages, one talent. David gave 3,000 gold, 7,000 of silver. And if I were to translate that maybe into today's currency, I think it gave something like maybe like several billion dollars to the church from his own bank account. And I think the people were astounded by this, that a king would do this, that he's giving out of his own treasure. And it wasn't just giving, it's an immense amount. The fact that he had such amount means he was rich. But the fact that he gave so much, I'm not sure where he stands after his giving. It's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Listen to this. There's a way to give out of abundance so that what you give doesn't affect the way you live. So that you're able to maintain a particular lifestyle and still give, right? But then there's a way to give that hurts. That when you give after this, you can't do all sorts of things that you might have done otherwise. There's a kind of giving that is lifestyle lowering. Lifestyle lowering. You're giving up something in order to give. That's what's sacrificial. I remember John Piper in a sermon that I heard from him once a long time ago. And he, and he says this. Just because you have a six-figure salary doesn't mean you have to have a six-figure lifestyle. Just because you have a six-figure salary doesn't mean you have to have a six-figure lifestyle. But that's what David, I think, does. His giving wasn't just, uh, just giving out of his margin. It, I think it was sacrificial giving to give that much. And here's the question that we've got to ask as you look at the generosity of the people. Having more, it may make you happy, at least for a little bit. But do you know what it's like to be happy when you have less? Will our children know what it's like to be happy if they have less? I think that's going to be hard in the next generation. My kids think the world is over if the Internet's not available, right? But I think David's saying it's possible. So in response to David's giving... His generous giving, how did the people respond? Well, you look in the beginning of this chapter, in chapter 7, you're told what they gave. If David gave 3,000 talents, the people gave 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Uh, the number is now way above us. We, we can't imagine what it is. But basically, the nation's gross national product is now <laughs> devoted to building this, this, this temple, all right? That's their response. In response to David's generosity, the fathers, the princes, the commanders, the overseers of the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron, the amounts they gave were crazy. They responded with generosity. Now, how do you account for this? There was enormous generosity here. Money had come in. They had enough to build the temple, and they had enough to eliminate the debt. And the question I want to ask you today, as you look at the generosity of the people, how do you account for this? How do you explain uh, this kind of generosity? And at one level, from a human perspective, David is not the least afraid of saying, well, the people just gave. The people gave. But from a purely human standpoint, 
if we only see these things, we miss something that David sees. Because from a human standpoint, imagine this. Here's the picture. Here's the, broad, the project of the temple. And now the news media arrives, and they give a report on what happened. And they would probably say, well, this is what happened. They saw the people. They were excited for a cause, right? They would say maybe that David was a charismatic leader, and they listened to him, and he had influence over them. Maybe they would say that the overseers and the princes and the commanders, they, they set this example, this inspiring example to move the people to give the way they gave. And then they might have said something like, well, and particularly that year, the economy was a bull market. It's on the rise. Things were looking good. And that new building in Jerusalem was a matter of national pride for them. And so they would look, pan their cameras over to the side of the temple, and they would say, that's where it's going to be built. And if the people keep giving the way they give, it's going to be done. End of story. But if that's all that they see, they would have missed something that David sees, and it's spiritual. In verse 5, last week we learned this. David asked the people, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Consecrating himself, meaning giving your heart to the Lord. That's what he wanted. That's an issue for David. Now look at this prayer here in our passage. In verse 17, in verse 18, in verse 19, there's a word that he pre, uh, repeats over and over again. Verse 17, I know my God, you test what? The heart. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. Right? Verse 18, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and the thoughts in the hearts of your people. Direct their hearts towards you. Verse 19, Solomon, my son, grant him a whole heart that he might keep your commandments. You see this? That's been David's concern through the whole thing. And even in his last prayer, he's not praying that the people continue to give more. He's praying that their hearts would be continually dedicated to him, to the Lord. It's a heart issue. And you don't always see what's going on in the heart. People don't see what's going on in their heart. But for David... The generous giving of their stuff was somehow connected to what was going on in their hearts, in people, personally, relationally, as they gave their hearts to the Lord, verse 4. Remember, isn't, isn't this what David really wanted for his people? Isn't this why he built this temple? He didn't want to build a building so that he could bring this old relic inside that symbolized their sort of nationality. That relic was the presence of God. He wanted to get the presence of God closer to his people. He wanted the presence of God in the midst of his people. He wanted an intimate access and relationship to the Lord with his people. And yes, he needed financial support, and they gave generously. But more than that, he wanted the people to give their lives to their God, to seek his face, to know his joy, to bring him into their lives. He wanted to have them to have a real, vital, personal relationship because I think he knew, I think David knew, that it's possible. It's possible to believe in God to follow all the right teachings, to try and go to church, to do all the things that you think Christians are supposed to do and still live 
Like God is this impersonal cosmic force that's far, far away. You're a dutiful Christian, but your relationship with God is very far. Think about this. If you're married or if you're in any kind of relationship, it's sad, but once in a while it happens. Imagine we are with your partner, and you have a discussion. You have a DTR. How are things going? And you're able to say this to your spouse. You're a good spouse. I know you're doing your duty. You're faithful in supporting me. You do everything that you're supposed to do. And you're just a faithful spouse. But I get the feeling something else holds your heart. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your other friends. Maybe it's even the children. You're dutiful, good, and faithful, but I actually don't have your heart. And at any one point in our lives, in our relationship to God, we're the same. You're dutiful, you're fruitful, more faithful, you try and do everything you are, but relationally, he's just kind of far away. And it means that something else holds your heart. What do you do when you give something to someone? That person that gets it now owns it. That's what it means to give, right? But when you give your heart over to something, what does it mean? That thing or that person now owns you. Owns you. So when you give your heart to God, what you're really saying is, God owns me. He owns all of me. And I have given it to him freely. That's what David says. That's why we sing that song, that hymn, I, when I survey the wondrous cross. You know the last part, that famous part where it says, where the whole realm of all nature mine, it would still be a present too small. Love so amazing, love so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about giving your heart to the Lord. It's saying, Lord, your gospel is so great, your grace to me is so wonderful, that the only way that I can respond is just to give myself back to you. Even if I owned all the stuff in the world, it still wouldn't be enough to give to you. I have to give you myself, my all, to you. And that was the heart that motivated the people to generosity. Where are you? So that's the generosity from the people. So how exactly does giving your heart to God motivate people to generosity? I, who am I, and what is my people that we should be thus able to give willingly? Listen to what David says in verse 14 in his prayer. Who am I and what is my people that we should give thus able, uh, able thus to offer willingly? And then he says this. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. And here's a realization that, that, that hits David at the end of his life. That, that once you've given yourself to God, once you understand who this person really is, then it's only a matter of logic in terms of what he is able to give. If you understand one thing about him, and what is that? 
that everything belongs to God. In other words, Dave here is saying everything that we gave to build the temple came from you in the first place. It belongs to you. So that everything that we have to give is already what you've given to us. Therefore, we are only giving you what already belongs to you. Now, I know all of you and many of you, most of you know all this in your head, right? But do you realize how life-altering that could be if you actually lived like you believe this? Look at what he says in verse 11. All that is in heavens and in the earth is yours. When the Bible talks about heaven and earth, he's really saying extremes. Heaven the highest, earth in the lowest, and everything in between. It means everything in the world belongs to him. God owns it and everything in it. And he owns you and he owns your mind and he owns your emotions. He owns your will. He owns your very... Do you understand how radical this is though? It means that all your possessions... Not just the portion you give away, but all of your possessions belong to him. That your home belongs to God. Your cars belong to God. You, you, your, your clothes belong to God. Your pastimes, your hobbies, even your recreations. You know, when the, the wife and I were in Maine this past summer taking a quick break, you know, we went beer hopping. Uh, more she did. And uh, <clears throat> I just remember passing by one of the... Uh, the places, and they had this sign, and it was interesting. It said this, quote, from Ben Franklin, quote, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. I don't know if you've heard that before, and I, I wonder, did, did, did Franklin really say that? And so I looked it up. He didn't really say this, okay? He said wine. <laughs> wine is proof that God loves us. Even wine, even beer belongs to God. That's what, that's what he's trying to say. That's what he believes. That all our possessions, our money, our influence, our vocation, it belongs to him. And if you, if you believe this, if you understand this, what it means is this. You have nothing which hasn't been given to you. Everything you have then is by God's generous grace. And I know this is a mindset that's different for many of us because in our mind it's this. I worked. I earned it. And so I could do whatever I want with it. But, I, but look at David. Because if anyone could have said that, it should have been David. You know David, his life. A shepherd boy who made himself a king. Who worked his way from the bottom. If anyone earned anything, it was David. Against all odds, he accomplished so much. He, he raised up his own army. He, he defeated enemies after enemy. He planned. He prepared. He earned his wealth. He earned his kingship. He accomplished a lot. This was a self-made man, David is. And he could have said, I work for this God and I earned it and I can do what I want with it. But in his prayer, he says, no, it's not mine. It's God's. For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. Everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. You see this connection here? The spiritual connection from a merely hand, human standpoint. Where did the riches come from? Where did people give generously? Well, it came from good inheritance. Uh, it came from a good stock market that year. It came from a shrewd real estate deal, or it came from a savings account, or just simply it came from hard work. But David says, no, 
riches came from God. And this is the invisible work of God in and under and behind our work. You can't see it, but you believe in it and you exult in it because you believe in him. Not because you see it with your physical eye. So that's why David rejoices that he can give because he knows that what he's giving and everything that he gives, all that he has was already given to him generously from his God. It was grace. And he was thankful for that. And he loved God for that with all his heart. So he gave. He gave not just his riches, but he gave himself. He was able to put his life in God's hand, trust him for everything that he believed, and lived, lived like God owns everything. And generously gave all that he had. That's what he says in verse 3 of this chapter. I have a treasure of my own, of gold and silver. Why? Because of my devotion to the Lord, I have given this. There is a deep connection between his generous giving and his wholehearted devotion. In other words, it wasn't what was in his pocket that determined his giving. It was what's in his heart. And the question that we have to ask is this. What's in your heart today? Not your pockets, your heart. What's captured your heart? What, what are you living for right now? And sometimes one of the practical ways to know this is where you're spending your, most of your money. But the money is not the problem, okay? Don't get me wrong. Having a lot of money is not the problem. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, it's, it's what you think money can give you. And so, for example, if you think in order for me to eat well, to dress well, have a lot of fun, then sure, money is going to be that important, right? But, but here's where it becomes an issue. What if your desires are deeper than just that? What if your desire is to have power and control of your life, to be able to control your destiny? What if your deepest desire is to be able to feel safe and secure not just now, but in the future, not just for yourself, but also for your loved ones. What if that's what you want? Well, then money is going to be that much more important, isn't it? And you're going to need a lot of it. But it gets more serious because I think what you see here from David is this. If there is anything more important to your future, to your safety, to your security other than God, you're going to be way too attached to it. You're going to start feeling like you need a lot more than you actually do. You start to hoard it. And you might even be enslaved to it. But most certainly, it won't be easy to just give away. It won't be easy. Because if you find your identity, your security, your hope, your life in money or anything else for that matter, besides this God... It means you've given your heart to it, what you're really devoted to, what you're really committed to. Something or someone else other than God who is the giver of all these good gifts. Okay? We need to be careful. It's a season of giving now, not getting. And it's a time that we can be generous. And the question is, can we? Can we be more generous? Not just money, okay? Can you be more generous? Can you be more generous with your time? Can you be more generous with your patience? Your patience. Can, can you be more generous with your forgiveness? Can you be more generous with mercy and love? 
And how, how does that happen? How, how can we? How can we grow in our generosity? And the answer is this. Look, in response to the grace of God, David gave, right? And the result was, in response to David's giving, the people gave. Generously, thankfully, freely, wholeheartedly. How do they do that? How do they do this? And here's what you've got to understand. Most kings would never do what David did, okay? In fact, most kings would say, look, I'm the king. You give to me. But David was different in verse 14 in his prayer. Who am I and what is my people that we should give so willingly? David, their leader, their king, did what most would never do. He gave. And not just gave, but gave sacrificially, generously, willingly gave up his riches. He gave up his treasures in devotion to his Lord. And the people were then moved, motivated to do the same, to respond in kind. But listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Listen to Paul. Paul says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Did you hear that? There's another king. Not David, but someone in the line of David. Not even Solomon, but someone better than Solomon. Who was utterly devoted to God. Who, who said, even if you tear down this temple, I will raise it in three days. One who gave generously and sacrificially till it hurt. Not because he lost his lifestyle. Because he lost his life. On a cross, there he totally devotes, dedicates, consecrates himself to you. Though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor because he paid our debt so that you might become rich with his love and grace. And here's the point. If the sacrificial generosity of King David moved Israel as a nation to a life-changing, heartfelt generosity, shouldn't the infinitely greater sacrificial generosity of King Jesus do the same for us? We've been given more than we think. But if you follow a generous God who is able to give his only son, shouldn't that create generous people? And the answer, I think, is yes. Two things happen when you understand who this God is for you. Two things. One, it changes your attitude towards God. It changes your attitude towards God. How? Well, look at this. They're going to build a temple. After David dies, years and years after, what do they do in temple? They do rituals. They do sacrifices. There were priests in the temple, and they had to go through all these things just to experience God. But you come to the New Testament. You see Jesus Christ. He's the temple. You see Jesus Christ. Hebrews says he's the only sacrifice you need. You see Jesus Christ, and Hebrews says he's your great high priest. In other words, you don't have rituals and practices and priests to get to God. You have a person. You have a real relationship to someone who's your temple, your sacrifice, your priest, and he's totally devoted and committed to you. How do you know? Because he put himself on a cross. He becomes your identity. He becomes your self-esteem. He becomes your security. Not you. Not what you can do or cannot do or give. Not what others think about you. Not how much you have in your bank account. It's him. It 
changes the way you approach God now. But secondly, if you understand who Jesus is for you this way, it changes your attitude towards wealth and money. Look, I am not saying that money is, is useless, all right? It is powerful, it's influential, and, and it can be very, very effective. But it's an illusion to think money can give you ultimate control of your life. It's an illusion to think that you can control your destiny, you can manage your safety, your security, your love, as long as you have enough money. Money can't stop your divorces. Money can't stop cancer. Money can't stop your natural disasters. Money can't stop crazy people going into schools and shooting up kids. It's ridiculous. Money can't do all of that. It's an illusion. But if everything comes from God, and he's there, then he needs to be your security, not, not your money. And that's why the, 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 one of the commentators says this, even the generosity of David and the people in providing for the temple comes from God himself because they depend entirely on God for their security and their well-being, end quote. That's what it is. That's a generosity from the people. That's a generosity that came from the heart because it was coming from a God who is generous with us. How do I know this? He's given to your son, Jesus Christ. Trust in him, the giver of all good gifts. Okay? Now let me just end with this last, this last question. What if you're really poor? Right? What if you're really poor? I, let me give you, I don't think anybody here is, is, is that poor, but, but what if you're really poor and, and you can't give? And you can't be generous. And you're in this situation. What do you say to them? Who is Chronicles writing to? He's not writing to David and, and these people. They, they are long gone. This comes after, way, way after, to a group of people that don't have David, that don't have the treasures, that doesn't even have a temple anymore. They're scattered everywhere, and they're just walking back to empty land. And they're poor and they're hungry, and they're called the people of God. And they're questioning, where is God? Right? He's writing to that group of people. And that's why David says this in his prayer, and he knows this. We are strangers before you and sojourners, all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. He's saying this, look, nothing lasts in this world. That's what he's learned. The golden age of David has no more permanence than any other age. And the readers of 1 Chronicles, in their time, they probably had no hope of ever experiencing such a fruitful time as this. But what David wants to bring out is this principle. Fruitfulness comes and goes. Abundance can easily turn into lacking. Money comes and goes. But in any and every age, whether golden or not, God is still the same. That this God is real in all the ages, and to him belong all things. So whether with a lot or even with a very little, every generation is to call to find its hope, not in the ever-changing economy that we live in, but in David's never-failing unchanging God. Can you be happy with a lot? Sure. Maybe. But it'll never be enough. But can you be happy or even content with just a little? Yes. Especially 
and you know and you believe personally, relationally, what you really have in Jesus Christ. You can be a generous with a lot. You can be generous with a little because you've got a generous king, Jesus, who loves you, who prays for you, who knows what's best for you, who's given all that he has for you, and he's asking you to trust in him. Let's pray.